HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meat in 3, we find out why the bacon, egg, and cheese, that classic bodega sandwich, is popping up on menus of New York's trendiest restaurants. We did a few iterations of it, and I was trying to fancify it. We tried the sausage, egg, and cheese, and then we tried to put charmoula sauce on it. We used feta cheese, and we're just like taking ingredients of the Mediterranean, if you will, and try to infuse it. But uh, for me, it was like a car wreck. Tune in to hear about the wild journey of the bacon, egg, and cheese, from deli to fine dining, on Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. On today's episode, how did a character on the American political drama The West Wing inspire a cinematically shot cooking show? Well, whatever the circumstance, Andrew Ray's Binging with Babish YouTube channel has become a marvel with over 5 million subscribers. Ray's recipes or recreations or creations of admiration for some of the greatest uh, uh, moving pictures in uh TV shows and movies that have food displayed in it. Uh, to that effect, he's now made a Binging with Babish cookbook, cataloging some of the movies and television's greatest culinary scenes from Big Night's Timpano, the Confi Bialdi from Ratatouille, Prison Gravy from Goodfellas, Buddy's Pasta from Elf, and of course, Fried Green Tomatoes, which I think satisfies all those things. Well, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. And it was so funny. Um, first of all, I've been, I've been mispronouncing your show for a while, thinking it's binging with Babish, and I couldn't understand why. Dude, I've, I've heard everything from, you know, say, people have said Babish, and, babish. and, and binging I heard once. I was like, where'd you get that from? But when I mentioned to someone who I think is a YouTube aficionado mm. that Andrew Ray was going to be on the show, they said, who? said, oh, the Babish guy. Everyone knows you as this Babish character. Yeah. Who is Babish? He was, uh, as you mentioned, an ancillary character from the West Wing. And I get a chuckle every now and then, hoping that one day Aaron Sorkin will have heard about my show, and he'll be like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's that, that character that I wrote into eight episodes of The West Wing, like that's a whole YouTube series now. I hope, I, I hope that he finds out the strange new life that his character's name has been given. Have you ever tried to reach out to Oliver Platt, who played that character, to be on the show? He is aware of the show because he's buds with, with uh, John Favreau, who wrote the foreword for my book. And his brother's Adam Platt of New York Magazine, the food critic. I did not know that. So there is that relation. Is that why he played a food critic and chef? Because quite, quite possibly, yeah, yeah he, it's in his blood. That's fitting. So hopefully someday the synergy, everything comes back yeah, together. No, that, that would that would be a nice full circle event. But I feel like the circle started in the most odd way. Uh, this series was was an odd passion of yours in two thousand six, yep. and it wasn't until two thousand fourteen where you recreated. Friends Moist Maker, that, that, this thing exploded. Do you mean 2016? Because 2006, yes. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't 2016. think YouTube existed in yeah. 2006. Um, yeah, no. Uh, uh, so yeah, I started in 2016. I, I just made it as a side project. And yes, um, the, uh, uh, the Moist Maker was the first one to sort of get some real attention. It was all thanks to Reddit. Uh, it just climbed the ranks on Reddit videos. It didn't even hit number one. Um, but it was enough to get it featured on Entertainment Weekly and Food and Wine and just give me a little bit of, you know, um, momentum. And uh, I d- d- just kept making it. And with, within a few months after that, I think within six months after that, I quit my job and made it my full-time job. Let's talk about your job before binging with Babish. Or let's talk about your life before becoming this voice and this torso that everybody seems to know. <laughs> uh, born and raised near Rochester, New York. Yep. What is the culinary scene there like? And what do you remember growing up cooking and eating your Polish, Italian, Welsh descent. I mean, it, it seems all so mudded. Yeah, my mother was uh, mostly Italian. Um, so there was a lot of Italian food flying around the house. Um, her linguine with white clam sauce is still fresh in my on my palate. Um, uh, she taught me to cook when I was very young. She passed away when I was 11. And it was just a nice way to sort of remember and feel closer to her was cooking. Um, as far as the culinary scene in Rochester, I think about the, the, the things that we can lay claim to are the garbage plate, which, <laughs> uh, it, it, I, 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 champion, uh, all day. I, it's basically, um, for the uninitiated, it is a, uh, a plate with, uh, French fries and Mac salad topped with either two cheeseburgers or two hot dogs topped with this, it's called a meat sauce. With, or I'm sorry, it's called hot sauce, and it's really just an onion and beef sauce that's spiced, oddly spiced with like cinnamon and 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 allspice. It's very strange, um, but it is a Rochesterian specialty, and I do adore it. Um, and what else do we have there? We have uh, Zweigel's hot dogs, and Wegmans, of course, uh, is the greatest uh, grocery store in the known universe. It's now opening in Brooklyn. It's now in Brooklyn. I think did, did, did they? No, they're opening. In a few days, I'm going to miss it because I'm going to be on this book tour, uh, which I'm actually genuinely sad about. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, if you ever met anybody who has been to or grew up around Wegmans, they talk about it religiously. Nobody talks about a grocery store that way. Yeah. So it's clearly something to cut above. It's 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 different than your Whole Foods or your whatever. But did you obsess with the garbage plate and those hot dogs and and these foods of your youth? Um, how did food resonate throughout your life? I mean, how how did it culminate into doing a, a pseudo cooking show? More pseudo, like an actualized, actualized yeah. cooking show. <laughs> uh, I um, I always thought I was a halfway decent chef. I wasn't. I was a very bad chef. I thought it was hot shit. But um, I was, you know, as as I mentioned in the introduction of the book, I was whipping up. Uh, 
raw chicken breast stuffed with like uh, cream cheese and artichoke hearts and um, and, and terrible and, English muffins. Oh god, these raw English muffins. <laughs> that was in college. I yeah, mean, that was like too late to be doing that. Um, and uh, uh, so, so I always thought it was great at it. But then again, like I say in the introdu- introduction for the book, there was a fateful um, uh, hangover breakfast that I promised my friends uh, after a night of debauchery and. They came out of the bedroom all hungover and messed up, and they were met with me making um, sous vide quail egg shaved asparagus and black truffle crostini, which they managed to eat one or two of before being like, (laughs) is there a diner nearby? And that's when I realized, okay, I'm going to start being the kind of cook that people like. In other words, somebody who makes food they actually want to eat, not trying to impress them with a, with a concept, but just making like genuinely good food, getting a hold of the basics. So that, that was like a big turning point that took place in, I don't know, 2011, 2010. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I basically hit this massive creative slump. I was, uh, I, I had just finished working on, um, a project that took the life out of me and it was, creatively unfulfilling and it was it, it was it was emotionally uh taxing it was a very bad relationship with these people that i was working with and it sent me into this deep spiral of a depression and i eventually thought okay i need to start helping myself so i went and sought the therapy that i needed and realized that i needed to find a new creative outlet so i bought a camera and a light to try to just do some freelance documentary work set it up in the kitchen and uh there was an episode of Parks and Rec on in the background <laughs> uh, where Ron and Chris were having a burger cook-off. And I was like, what would that actually taste like? Chris's crazy, trendy, you know, healthy burger. And uh, that's the, I said, yeah, maybe I should do that on camera. And there we go. That's it, how it began. And it was the Traeger turkey burger with yes. a Telegio cheese crisp, papaya chutney, black truffle, aioli, microgreens on a gluten-free brioche bun. Yeah. And, and you know, th- that sounds like what you tried to serve your drunk friends the day after. Versus what? Ron's burger, which is just a burger. Just give me a good burger, you know? It's just beef on a bun. Exactly. So yeah. so when did you realize that even in recreating food, the, the best foods were the most basic ones? Um, I guess... Um I guess uh, a big turning point with that was probably pasta aila olio, uh, which was, uh, I think, episode number three. I think um, it, it, it was uh, it was in the movie Chef. Um, uh, John Favreau is preparing it for uh, uh, Ch- um, not Charlize Theron, no, uh, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Johansson. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> that would have been a totally <laughs> different kind of scene. Um, uh, preparing it for Scarlett Johansson, and she's just like eye fucking him because he's making this beautiful pasta. And I tried making it, and it was it was. Um, it was really exciting to see seven ingredients, eight if you include boiling water, uh, come together to make something greater than some of their parts. It's very empowering as a new cook to see that you know you can take these simple ingredients and make something transcendent out of them. Um, uh, uh, and that's why it's, it's a very important dish to me. It's why I have a tattoo of it because so many people tagged me on Instagram saying I tried cooking for the first time because this seemed so simple and holy shit, was it good. Um, and so that, that's been a very important dish. Also, because it eventually introduced me to John Favreau, uh, who wrote the forward for my book. But um, yeah, that's the, 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 that's the one that did it. Was pasta aglio olio. I, I also think it's the idea of being able to replicate something rather than create something out of the blue. Because your sous vide quail eggs was in your mind's eye, but it yeah. wasn't something as prophetic that has lasted the test of time, like 
that pasta. Yeah. So, I, so in trying to cook these things, do you look to replicate or do you look to iterate? Depends. Uh, in the case of uh, pasta lilio, I'm definitely trying to replicate because that stuff looked good, and the 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 mm, that uh, Scarlett Johansson lets out when she eats it lets you know that's really really good. Um, uh, so th- in that case, I'm just trying to replicate the feeling, the sensation, the idea of what's happening on screen. In other cases, definitely trying to iterate in the case of, say, Charlie's Milk Steak from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about okay, that. Sorry, yeah, 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 No, no, I, I have it as my notes because the sound that, um, I, I forget his, they're doing a dating scene, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to do this dating profile for Charlie and they yep. say, what is your favorite food? And when he says milk steak, the sound that one of the characters makes. I think is, Dennis goes, mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just that stop. And... You hear something like that, and what in the world could milk steak be? I, I heard a hilarious theory uh, because to me it was just he, he would say milk steak boiled over hard, so I assumed that meant a steak boiled milk until it's hard. I don't know, <laughs> and so that's why I assumed some genius commenter said I think milk, Charlie thought that cheese was milk steak. <laughs> it's <was laughs> like that's brilliant, yeah, because um, he would totally think that. Uh, so I might have gotten that wrong, but. Uh, that was a, in that case, I'm trying to iterate because it was disgusting. So I want to I, I make it faithfully to the source material, and then I try to make my own my own version of it to the best of my ability. Which in that case was particularly exaggerated because I wanted to go so far in the opposite direction uh, and make it very chefy and plated and, and uh, composed. Just if have you will. these beautiful Parmesan polenta cubes and rosemary pea shoot gel. <laughs> I, I thought it was stunning. Uh, the food in there, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, is is very uh, two-word, like uh, rum ham as yep. well. Um, when we're getting more and more complex, um, say something that isn't, you know, as, as akin to what you ate growing up or what you've cooked before, like Tampopo's ramen. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you start trying to figure out a recipe, both from a, a you know cooking standpoint, but also from a visual one? I mean, that was a mountain to climb. Um, uh, ramen from Tampopo, especially because he's there with a ramen master, like this guy who's literally dedicated his life to mastering the idea of and it's the art of eating ramen. I don't even know if he makes it. I think he just eats it. Um, and him just sort of breaking down, like, you know, the, 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 the way the pork looks and the way that the fat glimmers on the surface of the, of the stock and, and the way the noodles are tucked in a corner and just all this stuff. Uh, so I knew I had to recreate it very accurately in terms of what we saw in that scene. But also, you know, I did some research in, in terms of where did that movie take place. Uh, so what kinds of ramen might that have been with those ingredients with a fish cake and with a, um, with, with pork belly that isn't, uh, hasn't been rolled. It's, it's just been cut. Um, and, uh, this, this, the, the, the broth is very light and, and, and light brown. It's not deep. It's not cloudy. Um, so, you know, that pointed to a, a kind of a specific kind of ramen. And then it was a matter of just scouring the internet, trying to find the best way to do that. That wouldn't piss off too many people, uh, that would hopefully make them, you know, think that I did a halfway decent job because I have no grasp of any of that stuff. Um, I mean, I love ramen, obviously, just like everybody else in New York City, but I, I don't have like a deep understanding of it the way that, you know, the, 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 the way that I should to, to recreate something like that from a movie that's so dedicated to food. Uh, so yeah, just a matter of, um, 
doing doing my research. That's really what it comes down to. When I started watching your show, um, I'm sure everyone does this too. They, they try to think of their favorite food scenes uh, of movies and television. Mine's actually from Tampopo, but it is not the ramen. Which one is it? It's the Oma rice that they make. That oh, omelet yeah. that folds open, and it's the homeless guy, homeless chef that comes in and teaches the the kid how to make this soft omelet that opens up on top of rice like a flower. And yeah. it's taken me years even get close to saying I've done it well. Not mastered, but just done it well. That That is supposed to be, I've never tried it personally, that is supposed to be a, a dastardly difficult dish to master. So good on you for, for trying so much. Well, that, that's what I kind of love about your videos is that you don't always cook things that well the first time and there are no. mistakes <laughs> why why did you leave why did you intentionally leave those edits in your videos i mean that's that's an m mark of um of uh of, of cooking shows of old is is to to have everything in a made perfectly in a perfect kitchen by a perfect person uh with with their perfect family and their perfect dog and um it's actually discouraging as a cook to watch older cooking shows not julia because she would show her mistakes julia child would like show when she would screw up and it would be great. Um, uh, 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 but, uh, I wanted to make the antithesis of, of the common cooking show, which is, you know, everything just happening perfectly in, in this perfect world. Uh, I wanted to show my mistakes because to the home cook, that's way more encouraging. Like it humanizes you as a, as a, um, as a, as a, a personality on screen. Like I make mistakes too. Uh, I'm just a home cook. I'm just figuring it out with you guys. And I think it, it's more encouraging if you're somebody who's never either never been in the kitchen or has very limited time in the kitchen uh, uh, to, to know that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay. They're learning opportunities. This is an, a, 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 an opportunity to see what you did wrong and you can do it better next time, especially when you're serving it for, to somebody. You know, you might, you might uh, make it better than you would have otherwise. You cover this recipe in your book. Um and I, I love the plating of this so much because uh, I'll explain in a second. Just because it, it sets the scene so well. But Kevin's famous chili from The Office. Yeah. And the first time I ever saw it, laughed my butt off. The second time, the video stopped working, and all I heard was the Overvoice, which actually talks to the recipe in the most succinct and beautiful way. And mm -hmm. if you didn't know what happened in that video, you thought it was going. You, you think of it as a perfect reiterated recipe yeah um you also choose to do over voice rather than talk in real time why that concept um well to be honest uh i make the show mostly myself still uh i definitely get help with basics because it's a multi-camera show and it's a little bit more difficult to edit being i definitely get help with because it's um it's a travel vlog kind of thing uh, but binging, I still make front to back myself. I'm hitting record on the cameras. I'm pulling focus and I'm editing it. And the real answer is that it's the, because when I started off, this was just a, uh, a hobby. It wasn't something that I was trying to make into uh, a career or anything like that. So I wanted to make it as easy as possible. And the easiest way to make this kind of cooking show is to edit it together, get all the steps in place, and then just talk about what you're doing after the fact. It's way easier not only to do, you know, to, to physically cook, then I can just focus on cooking. I don't have to talk and cook. Uh, but then after the fact, I can, I can just, you know, narrate what I'm doing and it's much easier. Uh, and it turns out that people, it's, it doesn't bother people. So, you know, it's, it's become my form factor. And the best way to serve Kevin's famous chili is on a swath of carpet. On that the note, only yeah. <laughs> the only way. Yeah. On that, we're going to take a quick break and come right back and talk more with Andrew Ray of Binging with Babish. Cheers. Cool. 
This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. And welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Andrew Ray of Binging with Babish. And there are so many wonderfully cinematic food scenes and televisions and movies. Uh, But I feel like when when you say that, the, the conversation starter is often one of two things, the timpano from Big Night or the Confit Bialdi from Ratatouille. It is not Ratatouille. It is Confit Bialdi. Which is just a dressed up rat, Ratatouille. It's a, you know, just a reimagined um, chefy. I think, I think Thomas Keller designed that dish, I think. I can't remember, but don't, don't hold me to that. Um, but yeah, no, those are two movies that really love and care about food. Uh, them and Chef. And, uh, but yeah, Big, Big Night in particular is a movie about the powerful... Nature of food. I mean, aside from the, the girth and size of a timpano, how intimidating are those two recipes? Not only that people have seen these movies and know these foods well, but the complexity of both of them is, is pretty intense. I mean, Ratatouille is not, I mean, it's it, it's definitely a little intense, uh, not nearly as bad as timpano. Timpano is just a, a huge amount of work uh, for what I would call not that big a payoff. Like, I know that they were eating it and rolling their eyes like, mmm, that was so good in the movie. But, I mean, they they really could have accomplished the same thing with some lasagna. It's really a <laughs> giant lasagna with some eggs in it, uh, which is whatever. So their sauce and their pasta must have been really good. They didn't need to put it in this giant yeah. thing. There's that instant in Big Night where they all start eating the timpano and the one guest smacks his hand on the table and mm-hmm. says, God damn it. And you think he's pissed because he got served this peasant dish. But he walks up to the chef and says... I could kill you because this is so good. Yeah. So it wasn't. It wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it was very good. It's just it, it, to me, it's an. It's not going to taste any better because you made this big, timpani drum out of it for the layered, you know, uh, gigantic lasagna with eggs. I. It's. I'm. It's perfectly good. But you could achieve the same culinary catharsis with. Uh, with lasagna. I don't think you need to put all that work into it just to make it. That's really just for presentation's sake. It's it's the flip. It's like yeah. making tad egg, the crispy rice and potato dish. It's, it's all, it's presentation. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but uh, yeah, no, there's a lot more food I want to cover in that movie. There's so much good stuff in there. Confi Bialdi from Ratted too. We've all seen the the using the razor blade to cut garlic for prison grazing, gravy and Goodfellas. Yeah, um, those all sound delicious. What have been some of the more disgusting dishes you've made? Well, this, this, this is what you're talking about with uh, Charlie's milk steak. Charlie's milk steak takes the cake. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it it was repugnant. Uh, it you know it was a steak boiled in milk with with I, I couldn't get a bite down. It was horrible. Um, let's see, uh, Buddy's pasta from Elf. Which I ironically have probably had to eat more than most any <laughs> other dish on the show because I the first time I shot it, cameras weren't rolling. Perils of making things yourself, I guess, is yeah, I forgot to hit record on the cameras the, or the cards were full rather. Um, so that then I had to make it again, and then I got invited to go on BuzzFeed and and make it there. So I had to eat it three times in in as many week, uh, days. The um, SNL Taco Town Taco. You actually recreated this. Wasn't that bad? Um, it was. I, I should make a good version of that. That's something I wanted to do and go back and do because it is a fifteen layer taco. It's uh, I can't remember all the layers, but it I know starts there are off crepes with, and blueberry. Yeah, pancakes it's, at it point. starts off with with you know tacos and 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 burritos and stuff and then it starts turning French and American and all them kinds of stuff towards the outside and then it's the whole thing's battered and deep fried which was perilous that was terrifying uh, to deep fry something that big uh, it was very hard to find a pot large enough to, to hold it and then I'm, I'm, I have these huge rubber gloves on and I'm terrified that I'm about to melt my skin off um, but it worked out. <laughs> Are you terrified that you've now crossed over into this culinary scene? And uh, do you consider yourself a cook? Do you consider yourself a chef? No, uh, I consider myself a, a home cook. Uh, definitely not a chef. I have not worked. In, I've worked in a restaurant making crepes uh, back when I was in high school. And perfect I, for the Taco Town Taco. Exactly. Yeah. I nailed the crepes. <laughs> um, and. And uh, I, I, what else did I do? I, um, I, I worked at the Chocolate Room over in Park Slope. It was my first hourly job when I moved to the city. Uh, but I was serving and, ma- and making, um, uh, I was plating. Uh, so that's the extent of my restaurant experience. So I do not get to call myself a chef, especially because I'm, at best, I'm coming up with creative interpretations of the foods they see on the screen. I'm not being terribly inventive and come and 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 uh, innovating in the space like you might want to do as a chef so but there must have been something empowering about seeing chef seeing john favreau uh, transform himself into someone who is more than just a cook not only in that movie but now in real life oh yeah has that been your you know has that been the canon of who you want to be absolutely and as to to, to keep bringing up uh, references to movies here uh, in ratatouille uh, you've, got, you've got chef gusto who says anyone can cook and that's what I am. I am a cook, and I can cook pretty decently some things. <laughs> um, I watched an episode of you with Iron Chef Masahiro Morimoto. That was and, nuts. <laughs> and you were recreating the regular show's death sandwich, and yeah. I, I love that episode. Thank you. Um, and it was almost truly a death sandwich because he added some blowfish to it. Yes, uh, poisonous uh, puffer fish, uh, if, if butchered, or not butchered, if, if cleaned incorrectly, is... Um, is fatal with that with no uh, antidote. Um, we got it. I guess he, he he bought it from Japan. It was cleaned in Japan by licensed technicians, and it was like three hundred dollars for a fish. And then we ended up putting it all on a <laughs> on a sandwich. And I don't think he knew what he was getting into. Yeah. So he was like, "What is this?" And he was a sport. He rolled with it, which was great. But you've been introducing other people to the show. Uh, there was a great episode with Maisie Williams of Game of Thrones, and you recreated the direwolf bread. Yeah. And that was another wild experience because I woke up in the morning and saw on Twitter, 
you've received a message from Maisie Williams. And I was like, bullshit. And I put it back down and go back to sleep. I sleep in. And then I wake up and I'm like, wait a minute. And I look at it and it's her. And I'm like, oh my God. And she says, you know, I'm in town for fashion week. Are you shooting? I, I love the show. And I was like, I can be, I will be now. Yes. And, uh, I feel bad because, um, I eventually made a good tasting version of direwolf bread, but initially my goal was to make something that looked exactly like the one from the show, which, you know, really I'm making prop food at that point. So it was this very, um, Odie, uh, 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 I don't know what to call it. A lot of roughage in this, in this, uh, in this bread, but it looked exactly right, but it was very difficult to eat. So I, I feel bad that I didn't get to feed her anything good, but she was really cool to come by and, and, and do a little direwolf bake off with me. You're obviously watching TV and movies all the time for the next culinary scene. Uh, I mean, have you coaxed any shows or hoped any certain, uh, films that you've seen have that epic food scene that you can then recreate? I'm always on the lookout. Um, one disadvantage is, the, is that I really love to show the uh, clip from the movie, and I can't if it's in theaters and some new hot food scene comes out and it's in theaters, then I, I can't do anything until it comes out on video. Um, I would love to work with movie theaters, or I've had a couple screenwriters. The the, the screenwriter of of Dallas. Uh, uh, tweeted at me and he was like, let's get some food in season whatever so Benjamin Babish can recreate it. I was like, yes, dude. <laughs> let's create a cottage industry here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but no, I, I, I'm, 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 oh, my ear's always to the ground. I'm always trying to, to find what's next but um, I, I, I can never anticipate it. I've never been like, oh, that should be X, Y, or Z. It's, I'm always surprised by what I find and by uh, what I'm able to to pay tribute to. And you did the full circle. You you cooked something from the West Wing. Yes, uh, I made tomate du Saltambique, which we never see. Uh, we only hear it described in detail by President uh, Bartlett, Bartlett 2020, um, uh, our our best president. Uh, uh, he describes in detail um, this. Dessert tomato. Uh, it is a tomato stewed in creme de, ca- creme de caramel, which is not a thing, uh, and filled with passion fruit and nuts and all kinds of stuff. And uh, and and it's it's a dessert tomato. And and I tried making it exactly as he described it, and it was too basically it was too long. It said they said stewed for like an hour and a half in creme de caramel, and I was like the f- tomato fell apart. It was no good. And, uh, the fruits weren't just, weren't quite right. So I found another very obscure recipe for, for this, for this dish and tried that version and put my own little tweaks on it and actually ended up being quite good. you can make a tomato for dessert. Um, in going through, I mean, there's over 150 episodes at this time mm-hmm. and you have no plans of stopping, but you've also started two other series. One is all about basics and one is about health. And I, I admire that, uh, through this journey, you had a realization about what this journey was doing to you, yeah. and, and you're hoping to not only just have people cook, you know, the diabetes pasta, such as, you know, Buddy's Buddy's saccharin yeah, sweet. Yeah, uh, you, you care inherently about food now in a way that you never had before. Yeah, being is uh, it's also my opportunity to sort of give back to people who either need it or deserve it. Uh, I've been given so much by my audience, uh, just by them tuning in, watching, and sharing, and whatever. Uh, they've given me this beautiful, amazing dream career and this dream life that I'm living right now. And being is my opportunity to try and say thank you in whatever ways I can. So I did have the one episode about me trying to lose some weight, but also I've, I've done ones where uh, we went to Florida to, to find this super fan who he had sent me 
a sample of Szechuan sauce. You remember Szechuan sauce when it set the internet on fire? I mean, I don't remember the initial origins of it, but I am a Rick and Morty fanatic. Exactly. Yes. So, so uh, they they made mention of it. I recreated it, and then McDonald's did a little giveaway before they did the wide release. They did a giveaway. They gave away three bottles of sauce, uh, and one guy who got it sent me a sample because he he actually won it. And then I found out two years later he had fallen on hard times. So we flew down to Florida, and I gave him a new Vespa and a new laptop and an annual pass to Disney because he's a Disney fanatic. And we were able to just sort of give back in a way to somebody who had very directly helped the growth of the show. So that felt really nice to do. So that's what we're trying to do with all these episodes. It's very unlike the situation between Larry David and Ted Danson in the sandwich scene. Quite unlike that, <laughs> yes. Um, that's that, 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 that one's all about just uh, trying to have the better sandwich, yeah. which you know, I, I, I would prefer the better sandwich if I, if I were in Larry's position. I mean, w- one quick question about sandwiches. Uh, the Teamster sandwich from 30 Rock. Yes. Uh, do you know who makes and serves that Teamster sandwich? I have an idea. Fiore's in uh, Jersey, I believe, is where the writer from... Basically, I read an article saying that the writer of 30 Rock was using Fiore's as a as an inspiration. Yeah. I mean, some of this food exists in the real world. Yeah, which is great. And, and have you ever been to any of these places to taste them in person? In that case, I went to Fiore's and I got the bread and I got the roast beef and I got all the elements of the sandwich, put them together at home so it would be fresh and hot. And then tried to reverse engineer it, essentially. Um, so, yeah, as many times as I've been able to, I've tried. I've, had, I've been. I've tr- tried to taste the real thing. The other example that comes to mind is fish tacos from "I Love You, Man," which is from James Beach Tacos in Venice Beach, uh, and they were really good. <laughs> See, I can't wait till this becomes super meta, and they make a movie about you in the in the vein of Julia and Julia, and then someone starts cooking from the binging with Babish, you know, show. On YouTube, and it's that secondary, it's that tertiary. It's just, it's going to be another circle completely. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for doing what you do. And I'm going to dig deep and send you some of the weirdest food scenes I've ever seen. And hope Please that do. hope that you create, um, like Peter Greenaway, Cook White Thief Lover. I mean, the spread that they have on that table, it's just mind blowing, oh, yeah. mind boggling. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm going to start sending you stuff. Please Babette's do. Feast. Oh, I mean, I've done yes. one thing from yes. that. I did Cayenne Sacrifage oh, yes. from Babette's Feast. And another one that comes to mind is the beginning of, and I'm sorry, I know we're running out of time, uh, the beginning of Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Yes. That cooking scene is is superlative. Uh, but I can't cook like that. Like, that guy's been doing <laughs> yes. it his entire life, clearly. Yes. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Man. Again, thank you. You've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage, RadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Route 11 Potato Chips, Music by Cookies, and Matt Patterson, Engineering. Cheers. The Food Scene is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage, and thanks for listening.